Good morning. I think I've already expressed it enough, but the joy of gathering doesn't get old. The kindness of God that He would call not just us as individuals, but us as a people to Himself. So thankful for that this morning. Um, I just want to recap a little bit of where we have been um, since we launched in September. We've been meeting now in this pavilion since uh, October, so that's, I don't know, two-thirds of a year, and it's a, a joy to continue to gather doing that, but let's remember what God has done. God has walked us through the Psalms of Ascent, right, teaching us how to worship Him as we walk through life together, as we walk on mission together, and, and one of the things that I just remember from that is, is Psalm 133, where this, this beautiful unity of those who would gather together in his name, and, and he just talks about, like, it's like oil pouring down. It's, it uses some beautiful imagery to talk about what does it mean to have unity in Christ, to have a unity that's outside of our wants and our desires, but is, G, is God calling us to himself, and because we're called to himself, we're called to each other. And then we spent a, a couple weeks, a, a month in January, looking at Colossians 3, just four verses and really diving into that and saying, who are we because of what Christ has done? Like, what identity do I have personally because of the work of Christ? And how if, he, if we died with Him, then we've been resurrected with Him, and now we have His righteousness to walk in. And so we've remembered all of these things together. And then we jumped in in February in our spring series that we're going to move back into in, a, in the fall. we looking at the Gospel of Mark. The beauty of that, that Jesus that we looked at from more of a theological kind of idea way in Colossians, now we're looking at how did he actually meet needs? How did he actually treat people? What was his compassion like? What was this God-man like? And we have to acknowledge that the way that he came was as a king. And so if he's a king, then that means that he has the right to rule and to tell us how to live. And so we've looked at all of these things together, and then we spent two months looking at what does that mean for us as Christians? Like in our daily grind, as we are still uh, in the already not yet, still struggling with sin, like how do we fight for joy in the midst of that? Remembering the work that Christ has done that has freed us from the temptation to sin, that has freed us from the effects of sin, and yet we still struggle. And there's this paradox there, and we rejoice because we know that God has won the victory. Even as we look at our lives sometimes and we see sin, we know that God has given us a promise of hope in Him that one day we won't even see that sin anymore. And even that sin is paid for at the cross. Well, this morning we're going we're gonna to jump into 1 John. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 John. We're going to be here this week and next week, and we're just going to look at the first chapter. So, 1 John, chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 1 through 4. And the beauty of this passage is that it's going to tie all of those things together. Listen, if you think that God's Word is separate pieces of the same puzzle, we're wrong. like, yes, they are, and then when you put them together, they make this beautiful puzzle. Right? They make this beautiful picture, this beautiful image 
Because all of it flows together. It's all for God's glory. It's all for our good. His scripture is his word to us, and we get to read it today. And I love that in 1 John 1, we're going to see the man Jesus. And we've seen it in Mark. We've seen the man Jesus. And we're going to see like the, the, the deeper theological idea of who Jesus is that we looked at in Colossians. And we're going to see what it looks like to be in fellowship together and in unity together that we saw in Psalms. And we're going to be able to say, what is the joy that we've been talking about fighting for? How do we have that joy as we see that John is writing this letter that our joy may be complete? And so all of these things are tied together. A little bit about John. Um, maybe you know who John is. The last John that we talked about in depth was John the Baptist. This is not him. This is the disciple John, the one that Jesus loved. Often he's referred to as the beloved. And so you have John the lover. Like for, for some of you like me that are super emotive, that's good news. You're like, I can connect with that guy. You also have John the Apostle who is this deep thinker who has taken the things of Christ and he said, hey, listen, if I have what Jesus said to me, then that's true. And now I need to defend that truth. And I need to, to look and guard the church because he's been a, a, called as an apostle to guard the doctrine. And so he's a heady guy. And maybe for some of you, that's going to really connect but the other thing that John is, is he's a church planner. Like he's writing this message to his congregation, to his, the people that he's discipling. And so he's a doer. He goes out and he takes that heart combined with that knowledge. And then he goes and he works. He does what God has called him to do. His life is shaped by that. And so hopefully for all of us here, we can connect in some way. And hopefully God is forming all of us into that that, that fully rounded person, right? That fully understanding, fully bought in emotionally, and fully living your life for His glory. Like, that's our hope. God, what are you doing with your church? We want to be that. God, will you change us? Will you make us into that? And so this morning, in 1 John, we have this letter from John, the disciple, the apostle, the pastor, We need to know that he's writing this letter because there, it's, it's probably some uh, scholars think that it's 60 to 70 years after Jesus has, has ascended into heaven. And so John is here and he's writing to the church at this time and he's reminding them, like, what, is, what were we given initially? Because in this 60 years, which doesn't seem like a long time, we've deviated from that. These ideas have grown up that are going to detract from who Christ was. And so some of this is a correction to wrong thinking. And some of it is a call to, hey, you might have right thinking, but it is not being reflected in your life. So it's incomplete. It's not doing what God has called it to do, which is a transforming work in your life. And so there's something missing and you're just as wrong. And so all of this is a correction and, and an encouragement and an exhortation to the believer to remember who you are in Christ and then because of that, your life should look different. Maybe we've heard that before. 
like every Sunday, right? <laughs> like this is the truth that we get to come back to over and over. This is who God is. This is what he's called us to, and this is how we need to live out of that. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 say this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. We pray with me. God, there, there's beauty here. There's beauty here to describe the Son of God. To remind us, the church, that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. God, we don't even have ways to understand that, so I pray that today you would give us your Spirit, that you would, uh, by the work of your Spirit that's dwelling inside of every believer, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, not human words, but the Word of God. God, and as that Word of life is spoken, I pray that it would change us. Pray that we would be transformed and conformed to your image, not so that people would look at us and be like, man, that guy's really awesome. But that they would see in us something that is different, something that is not human, that it's, it's the image of Christ in us, so that you would receive all the glory that you're due. Lord, we have an opportunity today to worship you, and we will have an opportunity, if we are in Christ, we have an opportunity for eternity to worship you. Lord, may we begin now. May we not wait. May we not defer that hope, but may we walk in it today. By your grace and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. He begins uh, this letter, and it's a different beginning, to be honest. Like, when you, when you read it, normally there's a, a greeting to somebody. When you write a letter, you probably say hi or hello or whatever you use as a salutation, and John just jumps right in. He says, that which was from the beginning. And if we know anything uh, about the, the doctrine of who God is, we know that God was in the beginning. Genesis 1 gives us that in the beginning God. And so when John refers to something that is in the beginning, he's talking about God. He's talking about the story of God. He's talking about the gospel work of God that started at the very beginning. which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which you looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This first sentence is speaking very clearly 
to John's community. You see, what had grown up, and we talked about these false understandings, what had grown up in the 60 years since Christ's presence on earth was this understanding that Jesus was either just a man or Jesus was God. Just God. Fully spirit. And so these two differing opinions were being held in the church and John is writing to the church to correct that misunderstanding. And you might say, well, man, like, I don't see how that is that big of a deal. Like, we all struggle with, you know, either one or the other. Well, I'm not talking about that, because I do think that we all struggle. Like, we kind of lean towards either the humanity of Christ or we lean towards the deity of Christ. But these, these factions were rising up, and they were rejecting the one in, for the sake of the other. And so, John is writing to remind the people that this Jesus, the one that he touched, the one that he saw with his eyes, the one that he heard with his ears, was fully human. Like, he was real. Because I saw him, and I touched him, and I felt him. Right? John is the one that it says, leaned on the chest of Jesus. Like, he, they were intimate friends. They were fellow companions, they were comforters of each other. And so John is reminding his people that no, I felt him, I know him, I touched him. He was made manifest. He was real in the flesh. But he also points to the fact that he was in the beginning. He was God himself. He was not just a man. Colossians 1.15 and then 19 through 20 say this, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Jesus was fully God. He was the image of God to us. John is specifically speaking to those people who would deny the deity of Christ. And he's saying, no, he was fully God. He continues to speak to those who would deny the humanity of Christ, who would say that he was just a spirit. 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says this, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You see, in verse 2 of 1 John 1, we see the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. I had to look up what manifest means. I had a general idea, but I wanted to make sure that I was right. Listen, it means to, so that you actually see it. It appears so that you can behold it. That's what John's saying. Listen, you may not have in this church and in the church that he's writing to seen this Savior that I'm talking about, but you have to take my word for it. I'm a witness. I saw Him. I heard Him. I touched Him. And he says it several times just to make sure that we're getting the point. He moves on. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. 
And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The question then out of that verse is, how can we walk in fellowship with a holy God? How can we walk in fellowship with Christ if He's fully God and man? Maybe I could walk with the fully man part, but I wouldn't be able to walk with the fully God part because I know that God is holy and He is righteous and He's perfect and I've seen my life and I know it's not that. You see, this fellowship that He's talking about, it didn't just happen. It's not just something that He's reminding them of that, hey, you had this just by chance. No, this fellowship that we have with Christ and with each other has been purchased for us. The fellowship that we have is purchased through the sacrifice of God's own Son. Why does it matter if I don't believe that Jesus is fully man, or if I don't believe that Jesus is fully God? What does that matter? Listen, all of Scripture hinges on this truth that God is fully, that Jesus is fully God and fully man because of the gospel work of Jesus. Listen, if He was just a man who lived a a righteous life, a good life, and we should model it, then we're going to strive in and of ourselves to do all the right things. And we're going to fail miserably. If Jesus was, was um, a, a, a spirit, then he has no con- if He was just spirit, He has no connection to my life. I, I can just put him in a box and say, I don't get it and I don't understand it, so I can just live how I want to live. And you're going to see that that's how some of these people were living. They were living as if God was far off. When we think about mythology, like they were this God that was up on Mount... Noah, help me out. What Mount? Olympus. He loves mythology, which is great and kind of hard sometimes. But they, he's distant, Right? If we believe that He's not like us, then He's distant. But, but what we have is we have a God who humbled Himself and came to earth and who was like us in every way. Who walked through the same temptations that we walked through. Who can relate to us. Who empathizes with us. Who right now is seated at the right hand of the Father and is praying for us and interceding for us. That is a gift that we have. That God, that Jesus would be fully man. Fully God. Because, listen, here's the other half of it. If He's not fully God, He cannot stand the weight and the wrath of God's punishment. See, there is no one who could walk in perfect righteousness and take the punishment that was due sinful people unless it was God Himself. And so... He humbled himself. He became human. And he walked perfect righteousness on our behalf all the way to the cross. And at the cross, he bore the sin, the the, the payment of sin, the shame that we should have to suffer. He bore it. He was forsaken by God the Father at the cross so that we could have right relationship. You see, that's what we have in a Jesus who is fully God and fully man. I love the way Shailen explains it. 
in his song, Hypostatic Union. He is a Christian hip-hop artist. If you haven't heard him, I'm sorry. You should listen to him. He's amazing. But in his song, Hypostatic Union, he says, See, only a human can substitute for human lives, but only God can take the wrath of God and survive. That's what we have in Jesus. We have a human who paid the human debt We have a God who not only paid the human debt, but because He is God, rose in victory at the resurrection over sin and death so that now we have victory. We have the victory that He has if we are in Christ. We can walk in righteousness. We can have fellowship with a holy God because God Himself came, humbled Himself, and lived among us died for us, rose again to defeat sin and death. That's why we have this fellowship. That's the cost of this fellowship. Listen, if we just think that we can come to God and we can ask Him for whatever we want, whenever we want, and that's just free to us, it's true that it is free to us, but it is not free. Somebody had to pay for that access. And Jesus did it. He purchased it for us. It is a costly grace that we have to have access and fellowship with a holy God. But you know what? As soon as you are connected to a holy God, and as soon as you are connected to a holy God, and as soon as I am connected to a holy God, now we are connected to each other. Now we have a fellowship with each other that goes beyond what what we may like, right? The shared likes or shared dislikes, which actually unifies people more these days. We have a God who has redeemed us and called us by name to himself. And so our fellowship cannot be broken. If all of this is true, then our fellowship cannot be broken because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we are united together in Christ. And so, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. But what's the goal? What's the goal of this fellowship? What's the goal of this uniting? You see, John is using this language of fellowship and unity, and he has the same language in his Gospel. You know where he got this language from? He got it from Jesus. Because this is Jesus talking in John 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Listen, this abiding thing, that's what we talk about when we're talking about fellowship. It's a, it's a forever being together. Maybe you look around and you're like, I'm not sure I want to be together with all these people. That's okay. Because what you're going to find is the together of being with Christ as He conforms all of us into His image is, is being this full and complete joy together. That's what He's calling us to. A unity that's outside of ourselves. A unity that He has purchased by His blood. A unity that is with Him. Abiding with Him. And that abiding is so that we can bear fruit. He doesn't stop with just saying, whoever abides in me and I in him. 
He says, what's the purpose of that? If I'm the vine and you are the branches and you abide in me and I in you, what is the goal there? The goal is so that he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from that unity with Christ, we can do nothing. The goal of that fellowship, the goal of that unity, is God's glory. And in God's glory, we find our fullest joy. We find a purpose. We find a satisfaction. We talked a lot about satisfaction and how with those seven deadly sins and and the plethora of other ones that are out there, we chase after a satisfaction outside of Jesus, but the greatest satisfaction we have is in Christ and in Christ alone. And that's hard. That's hard when you're hungry. That's hard when you're hurting. That's hard when you're sick. To remember that. And yet God has given us that truth to stand on. And to call each other to. And to remind each other of. He's given us His Word and His Spirit. That work to remind us of that truth always. The goal of this is joy. Again. John as he writes in verse 4. And we are writing these things. So that our joy may be complete. This is not the, he's not the originator of this idea. John 15, 9 and 11, this is Jesus talking to His disciples. Listen, John, I love John. He listened. <laughs> he heard what Jesus said, and then He repeats it. If we would all be like that, if we would hear what Jesus says, and that's what we repeat to others, man, that's going to drastically change us as His people. John 15, 9 through 11 say this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Listen, there's a call there to keep the commandments of God. We want the abiding portion, we want the fellowship portion, but there's a a participation in obeying the commandments of God that we balk at sometimes And yet, when we are faithful in those things, we find this complete joy. Not because we can look to ourselves and say, man, look at us. We got got this down. No, it's so that we can say, look at what God is doing. Look at the grace that God would work by His Spirit in my life that these things that I once chased after, I no longer chase after them because I have Jesus. I don't know why I get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to read my Bible. God is doing that. It's not like I just think that that's the the best thing that I should figure out and it's going to make me more profitable or it's going to make me uh, more acceptable in people's eyes. No, God has stirred my heart. He's changing me. And I'm not saying that because I do it. I'm just giving an example. But like, what are the things that we're doing that are different from what we normally do that God, by His grace, is working in us? Where we are honoring Him. We're keeping the Father's commandments and abiding in His love. And then in 11, He says, this is Jesus talking to the disciples. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. John's writing this letter to the church. He's remembering the words of Jesus. And Jesus wanted us to have joy. He knew what was coming. He knew that it was going to be hard. He knew that the blood that was going to be poured out was going to be real blood, tangible blood that, I, that John would see. 
He knew all of those things, but he says, I pray that you would have my joy in you and that, that your joy may be full. John's reminding the church, hey, I'm writing you these things that your joy may be complete. Listen, if we have that complete joy, circumstances can't change it. We can't conjure it up. So it's not a matter of us trying to to make it happen. If we have this joy, it's been put in us by Christ Himself. He says that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. It's a joy that He's given to us. Circumstances can't change it. I love Spurgeon in his commentary on this verse as he writes, What an evidence of our Savior's deep attachment to His people, that He is not content with having made their ultimate salvation sure, but He is anxious concerning their present state of mind. He delights that His people should not only be safe, but happy, not merely saved, but rejoicing in His salvation. Hear this, people of God. The objection of the revelation of Jesus Christ is that you... The object of the revelation of Jesus Christ is that you may have joy. Indeed, that you may have a heart full of joy and that you may know what full joy means. Here below we get but drops and dashes of joy unless we are brought into fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. Then we have the very joy of God in our souls. Oh, the delight of it. Oh, that you could all know it to be full. Amen? That's our prayer, that we would know this fullness of joy that Christ says He's given to us. That we'd walk in that. Listen, we're going we're gonna to only look at these four verses, but you need to know what's coming. Because out of this truth, out of this understanding of who Christ is, that He is both fully God and fully man, and this reminder that now, because of His work, we have a fellowship with God, and we have a fellowship with one another, John's going to go on and he's going to say, and this is how your life needs to look. It needs to look like walking in the light. It looks, needs to look like confessing these things to one another. Both the sin that's in your heart and the truth of who Jesus is. It cannot be an incomplete confession. Because when we, when we don't confess the sin in our lives, we're living in a lie. We're not walking in the truth. So you can have a head knowledge of what truth is, but if it doesn't change the way that you live, it's incomplete. This new way, this belief in action, looks like confession. You see, because you have to have confession for true forgiveness to follow. If if you don't tell me what you've done wrong, how can I forgive you? But in that context of Christian Confession and forgiveness, there's a fellowship that reminds us again that we're not together because of anything that you and I have done. We are together because of what Christ has done. Because He has paid the price for your sin towards me and my sin towards you. And He's reconciled our hearts to one another. You see, this this true belief in action looks like repentance. Listen, it's not enough that you just say, man, I did that thing to you. And then tomorrow you go and do that thing again. Now, we can be patient and long-suffering with one another as as God changes habits and and things that we've learned. But He's got to be changing those habits and those things that we've learned so that we are turning away from sin. Repentance is not just confession. It is turning away from the sin that would rob us of the joy that we have in Christ. 
If I acknowledge my sin without turning from it, I did not repent. I am a liar. It's what John's going to say in the following verses. It must be a turning away and walking in the righteousness of Christ that He's purchased for us. Colossians 3, 9-10 through 10 say, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Like, that's our hope. And it's a hope that we're realizing, a hope that we're seeing, and we need to be telling each other that we're seeing that. We need to be saying, man, I see God working in you. Because we need to be encouraged and built up in our faith. Belief in action is walking in the light of truth. This truth of who God is and what He's done. Walking in that, proclaiming that, sharing that, not just with those we're comfortable with, but with those who we're uncomfortable with. Those who need to hear it. This morning we, we end with a call. We talked about repentance, like confession. Listen, there, there may be times where you have only thought of Jesus as a man. And so you've tried to model what He did. And you've looked to Him as, as the example that was set. But the reality is that He is both fully God and fully man. And so you cannot achieve that. And as you work and as you strive for that, that is a self-righteousness. And so today, we would be called to repent, to confess that to be true, and to repent and turn from that, to rest in the righteousness that has been purchased for us. Listen, there's also this idea that, that, God, that Jesus was fully God, but He wasn't really a man, and so I, I don't really have to walk in the way that He walked. And so we have this, this huge, high-up-in-the-air idea of God on Mount Olympus who doesn't care about what we do. No, Jesus died so that we could live like He does. If we only have this general idea of Jesus as God and we're, it's, we over-spiritualize it and we don't say, man, He called me to walk in the righteousness that He walked in, then our lives will not be changed and we need to repent of that. We need to repent and say, God, I have believed this thing that is not shown itself in my life, that has not changed the way that I live, that has not changed the way that I think and speak. I'm not saying that it's going to happen right away. right? Like, Don't take that and be like, man, I, I'm not where I want to be. No, we're not. But by God's grace, He's working in us for His glory, in His timing, so that we can see that He's patient with us and we can be patient with each other. Like, that's a miracle if we're patient with each other. So let's be patient as God works, but let's look for that fruit. You see, we can detach Jesus' humanity and there's no transformation in the way that I live. And, and James K. Smith, again, he, the one we began the quote with earlier, he says, our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity, the wellspring from which our actions and behaviors flow. Listen, if we say that we love Jesus and yet you couldn't look at my life and see that, there's a disconnect there and we need to repent of that. If I have this great head knowledge and can explain all the doctrines of God and yet you don't see Jesus in my life, we need to repent of that. We need to say, God, I believe something that was incomplete. Will you work in me? Will you change me? 
And the beauty of it is as soon as we pray that prayer, that's his, law, that's his goal. It's to change us, to transform us. And we begin to see where he is changing us and transforming us. Call to repent. This morning, if, if you never, maybe you, you haven't even thought about who Jesus is. You don't even necessarily think that he's a God or a man. He's just a word that sometimes I use when I'm frustrated. Or a word that, that's been thrown around in, in culture. I would call you today to look at Scripture, to read the Bible, to, to talk with those around you and say, man, I don't know if I believe anything about Jesus. Because in that honesty, we can actually have a conversation. And we can look together and discover who Jesus is, that he was both fully God and fully man. Finally, I just want to call you to joy today. If this is true, then we should have a joy that's unshakable. We should have a joy that's unswayed by circumstances. We should have a joy that overflows out of us that I don't even have to persuade myself to talking about Jesus because he is the thing that I love. He is the thing that gives me satisfaction. He's the thing that I sing about. He's the thing that I think about. Call us to joy today. One of my favorite songs, I know a lot of songs today, but Citizens is a great band that I love, and they sing a song called The Joy to Be. And the chorus says this, Oh, the joy to be, the joy to know. It's when I decrease, you fill up my soul. What a joy to see and a joy to hold. It's when you increase. I want nothing more. Listen, this is, this is our hope. This is the journey that we are on. This dying to ourselves. This finding a fellowship and an identity that's not simply me and what I want, but it's what God wants and what He's doing in His church. And that's where we're going to find this complete joy. That's why John's writing this letter. He's writing these things that our joy may be complete. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we just thank you. We thank you that you have worked so that we might have life, so that we might have joy, so that we might have freedom. God, and not just a simple... Joy that depends on circumstances, but a joy that fills up our soul. A joy unshakable because of the, the reality of the work of Jesus Christ who came and gave Himself for us and then rose again to defeat sin and death so that we too may walk in the victory and the newness of life. God, I thank You for the deep spiritual truths that we've talked about today. I thank you that you've stirred our affection for you. God, and I thank you that you are working in our lives to make that, this, that belief, that love play out in the way that we live. God, we just rejoice in your kindness and goodness towards us, particularly in the person of Jesus. We thank you that your work is not done, but you are faithful to complete the good work that you've begun in us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.